Welcome to the Live Lightly Podcast. Awareness to integration to elevation. Sue and Dan open intimate and complex spaces together, discussing integration from physical, emotional, and spiritual levels. Expect conversations that are honest, expansive, and solution-oriented. Everything from consciousness design to biohacking to socio-political deep dives. Creative works and building a new paradigm in relationship through daily choices. Check out the show notes for more info about Sue and Dan, plus our guests. Welcome to the Live Lightly podcast this week, and here I am sitting with Dan, and the two of us are going to discuss all things health sovereignty, our own personal well-being, and self-responsibility when it comes to our own personal well-being, the strength of our physical container, and a little bit about the social and political issues that come up around health and how to maintain our own well-being in a world that seems very complicated and very industrialized. Yeah, that's that's a big topic, and I, I think we can we can maybe give that a focus of food systems. Sure, we can start there. Okay, cool. Um, so, how did we get to where we are now? That's a huge question, right? Of course. Yeah, I mean, I personally, um, and I don't really, I'm not really shy about saying this. Think our food system is is very much broken. Mm-hmm. Of course, we agree on that. And as a feeder system to our pharmaceutical system, and I don't think the two are independent. I think they're very much intertwined. Mm, Yeah, intertwined in the way that they really disempower our connection to earth, to each other, and to our own bodies. Yeah, totally. Um, and And a connection to earth, I think that's a great place to start in looking at um, sort of this deterioration of our food system in this country, particular U.S., you know, if you look at um, early 1900s, late 1800s, you know, everybody grew their own food. Everybody had, um, you know, connection to the land. They had, I mean, families had heirloom seeds that they passed down for generations. They took pride in their corn, their beans, their watermelon. You know, it was it was from their own efforts that these things were produced and then able to consume and sustain. Um then 1900 hits and we kind of start trying to mimic Europe and we, and we get into this like restaurant scene where people start eating out a lot and there's this massive boom of, of restauranting in American cities. People eating out um, used to be something of, you know, like a position of privilege, but the access um, increased, you know, to, to uh, every, every demographic. To the point by 1930. Mm-hmm. Which seems like a very strategic economic decision. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I feel like it originally kind of started as this like keeping up with the Joneses sort of thing of like, the Smiths are going out to eat. You know, we should do that too. It's date night on the town kind of thing, mm-hmm. which is fun. Don't get me wrong. But it, it really sort of uh, shifted the way people sustain themselves. By 1930, 30% of the meals in cities um were eaten in restaurants. Mm-hmm. 60% of those meals uh, were women eating in restaurants. So wow. you this really, really, really big shift in a very short period of time to where we just, we really started emphasizing convenience and speed in our, in our food. And mm-hmm. I think I, 
I just want to cut in just for a second. I think that's really interesting, the percentage of women eating out, because if you look at the demographics now of who's the main buyer for the home and who is obviously, this is gender binary, but the stats are inside the gender binary around women also being most targeted with wellness products and uh, like trends, kind of health trends. Yeah, they're kind of the front runners when it comes to new food trends, it seems, or at least the demographic that's more marketed towards is, is women. Mm-hmm. You know, and then and then uh, it seems like maybe men follow suit. That's been embedded for a while now, I guess. At least 100 years or so. <laughs> <laughs> um, so then we start hitting wartime and, you know, frozen food becomes a thing and, and war rations and food has you know, at this point, we're maybe only 40 years from where we were very agrarian in this uh, agricultural revolution, industrial revolution, really just kind of uh, shifted our food from from quality to uh, expediency, you know, how fast can we feed X number of people. Mm -hmm. And do you know, besides just like an economic sort of mastermind plan, was that because of population growth? Was that because of uh, social values changing, war? Like, can you just give a quick little reason why? I, I would say all the above. Um, social values would be what I would say would be the first and foremost uh, kind of driver of this shift, as with all shifts, you know, and I think you can kind of extrapolate this from this history lesson that um, while it may seem like we're David up against Goliath in all of these different uh areas like food or pharmaceuticals, things like that, you know, we have a hundred year history that shows how it was 100% our consumption and where our dollars went that drove the industries to where they are now. Mm -hmm. It wasn't the industries driving us to this. It was our dollars and cents. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it's, it's, it's pretty symbiotic, but obviously an industry responds to demand immediately. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So then by like the 50s, right, microwaves get invented. 75% of U.S. households have TVs. So what are people yeah. doing? Mm-hmm. They're microwaving their dinners and sitting in front of the TV. Mm-hmm. What are companies doing? Coming up with new microwave meals, TV shows, like all this kind of stuff to further entrench people into these habits mm-hmm. and, and consumption patterns. When did GMOs hit the scene in the United States? Ooh, that's a good question. I, I would guess uh, late 60s, maybe early mm-hmm. 70s. Somebody mm-hmm. listening might have a better understanding of that and hit us up if you do. But I would guess 60s. Mm-hmm. You, know, yeah. you, you started seeing some uh, manipulation of crops and some gnarly, gnarly, gnarly pesticides. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we still have those today, but these ones were incredibly egregious uh, and they weren't banned all that long ago. Which is kind of scary. Definitely. Yeah. Um, I found this statistic incredibly interesting, and I think it really sort of exemplifies our uh, cultural ethos shift in regards to food. Where in 1920, U.S. households spent on average of about 45 hours a week preparing their meals. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, that's like significant, right? Yeah, that's a, a full-time job. Just about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, more than one, maybe 45. Uh, fast forward to 2020. What do you think that number is? Five. Almost. 4.3 hours a week wow. spent preparing meals. I was close. So 10 times <laughs> less 
10 yeah. times less than 100 years ago. And let's just talk a little bit about the connected energetics of not preparing your own food and that social shift and that, you know, sort of keep up with the Joneses out in the world, super busy overconsumption on every level that changes the way that we consume in the home slash out of the home. What does that do to our understanding of our bodies and what we're eating? Well, I would say you, you lose the understanding of what you're eating. You know, I mean, if you're spending 45 hours a week preparing your meals, you know exactly what you're eating. Mm -hmm. You know where it's coming from. I mean, you got it. Right. If you're spending four hours a week, I mean, so that means people are spending more and less, but by and large, I mean, five hours a week, come on, that's nothing. Mm -hmm. So you're, you're trusting what you're being told. Mm -hmm. So you're trusting marketing of food. You're trusting hey, somebody told me that I should eat this because it tastes really good. Right. Or because you know? it's good for me. Or because it's it's good for me. But, you know, subconsciously, you're still prioritizing convenience. So even if you're sitting there telling yourself... And someone else's opinion. And someone else's opinion. So in or terms... Or an industry's opinion. Exactly. So all these things that used to be, um, you know, bootstrapped by yourself, you handled it, you did your own thing, are now outsourced to companies or other people or industries whose bottom line is not your overall well-being and health. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, that might be a great segue into what are some methods to like reaffirm your own intuitive intelligence and understanding of what food works for you and what food doesn't. Yeah. I mean, I I think this is uh, conscious consumption. Yeah. We've taught month long retreats, workshops on this where it's, you know, me telling you what it is, is not it, but you figuring these things out of, you know, what foods work for you, what times, uh, to eat foods work for you, your hydration levels, your supplementation, all these sorts of things are very, very individualized. And it takes a concerted effort in order to find, um, that homeostasis or that, uh, you know, secret sauce for the individual. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And more than five hours a week. Uh, I would say so. I mean, starting out, you know, it's it's like five hours a day. Yeah, I would it, say it, it like 90 be. minutes to two hours a day. Sure. I mean, yeah. it, it, it all depends, I guess, on, on what state you find yourself in. But in terms of, of in terms of action items, you know, convenience cannot be the priority when you walk into the grocery store. If that's the case, you're just like feeding the system. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you have to take your health your well-being, your life, your body as, as the priority, mm-hmm. you know? So you, I know you have the, um, sort of mantra whenever you go to eat something, is this healing or is this going to hurt me? Mm-hmm. Definitely not. Do I want this or does this taste good? And of course that takes over sometimes, but I really have to be very careful with how I'm categorizing food so that I understand what I'm consuming and its long-term effects for me. Totally. And, and I think in time, you, you know, you can certainly find a middle path of, of that consumption. I'm not going to sit here and profess to be this like perfect eater, perfect consumer, far from it. But more often than not, I'm making the right choices for me. You know, that mm-hmm. might not be the right choices for you. Our diets are very, very, very different. Yeah. Oftentimes I share with my students 70% of the time so that you aren't holding yourself to this abusive perfectionism mm-hmm. or, you know, decision paralysis inside the perfectionism space and that you actually are 
making changes for yourself 70% of the time that that's going to really tip the scales in terms of your own consumption and your connection to what creates fluidity inside your body mind relationship. Yeah. So you mind if I ask you some questions? Yeah, sure. So I know, and I know uh, a lot of listeners are probably aware of this, but you have a bit of an eating disordered past. Yeah. So, you know, these subjects are somewhat sensitive to you. Not or, as much as they used to be, but yeah. Okay, great. So mm-hmm. what was that transition for you or, or how did you sort of rectify that in your own system for where it was sensitive and, and definitely a pain point to where now you have what I see as a pretty equanimous relationship with your consumption? Yeah. I mean, in all honesty, it was getting rid of full length mirrors so that I just wasn't consuming my dysmorphia of who I thought I was and what I looked like. And then also living tiny and really being able to have less access to what I wanted when I wanted it. So totally changing my understanding of walking into the grocery store, even the juice bar, you know, not having that level of access and getting back to simplicity and our fridge was tiny. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that it was really, that was the big pivot point where I sort of left some of my stuff behind like big, big lifestyle changes. Mm -hmm. I think access is a, um, that's a, that's a really valuable tool. So say you've never looked into these things before, have no idea what conscious, conscious consumption is, have no idea what your ideal diet supplementation hydration is, Mm -hmm. you know, limiting access to things early on, I think can be very, very beneficial, not in a self-deprecating or punishing way. Yeah. This isn't a diet. No, no, this is a spiritual quest to understand what fuel your body mind needs and where that fuel is coming from, which is sort of step two, because once you find equilibrium in your body, then you have a lot more of an ethical consciousness of how you're consuming and from what sources you're consuming. And that might come up in the next 10 to 15 minutes. Yeah, totally. Yeah, totally. But I think we can sort of stay with, okay, let's raise the awareness inside the body-mind relationship first. So then where, where do you go once you start to establish some of that awareness? Yeah, I mean, you're, you're out of the diet space totally. You're really not taking a few opinions if they really resonate for you. But you have to get to that point in your body-mind relationship to understand what's a valuable opinion and what's not. Yeah, totally. And then from there, you can really start deciding, you know, what what to consume, but also what to avoid, but not in a diet self-punishing way. This is like total picture health. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. None, none of this is punishing. This is all, you know, finding what fits you best. And if that's you know, you're an athlete and you perform better when you eat these sorts of things, if you're a thinker and you think clearer when you don't eat these sorts of things, whatever that may be. Totally. So what, what is my life demanding? And then how am I answering those demands with my consumption? Bingo. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's really what you can reduce this to. Or even what is my genes or my body demanding? And then how am I answering that with my consumption? Yeah. You know, and on a more kind of fluid level, you know, at, at this point in my life, my hormones are here and eating this certain way supports uh, hormones as they've sort of shifted now that I'm X number of years old. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I mean, that's a huge question. 
I have in my connective spirit space, lots of autoimmune enters and understanding, you know, what to add in, what to cut out, ways to detox, right? How to bind and clear are really big parts of how you're consuming. So that that's supporting your body mind relationship, right? There's a food just isn't like taste and the fun out at a restaurant. You know, it has a lot of purposes that really uh, support how you behave out in the world. Yeah. I think it's really interesting how quickly we sort of evolved or I guess de-evolved our, our uh, social ethics around food in that way. Yeah, definitely. Let's talk about that for a second. Yeah, go yeah. for it. No, you go ahead. You just said it. Social ethics around food and understanding how that supports your behavior out in the world. Like, does this make me irritated or aggravated? Or does this make me parasitic to a larger uh, system? Mm -hmm. Yeah, ultimately figuring out, you know, what is the driving factor that's, um, you know, making me choose this over that. And I think, and I think you can get really clear on that over time beyond just, well, I'm hungry and it's here. So I'm going to eat it. Mm -hmm. Is that it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think maybe we could be more tangible in the difference in our bodies, our genes, our choices, our pasts and the choices that we make. You know, like when I was riding a lot, I had a very different diet than when I'm climbing a lot or running a lot or biking a lot. Yeah. So what does that look like? Or uh, teaching a lot. Oh my gosh. I eat so much differently when I'm teaching a lot. What does your uh, writing day look like versus a teaching day in terms of your consumption? Yeah. I mean, writing and teaching can be similar, but honestly, I have much, much longer intermittent fasts when I'm teaching. Um, I don't want to bog my body down with digestion. And so I have to have a lot of free prana and all that prana has to be moving up and out. And if I get like slightly sleepy, my attention goes down and I'm not as, uh, readily available to adjust for my students or for the room in front of me. So sometimes you're looking at a 20 hour intermittent fast on those days. Mm -hmm. So intermittent fasting, time restricted eating, if you're not familiar, um, it's, it's establishing a period of time, uh, where your body remains in a fasted state. And in that fasted state, you know, you can look the science up on all this, but your uh, digestion improves, inflammation goes down, blood sugar regulates, mind is clearer. You know, all these really, really positive implications from time-restricted or intermittent fasting. And, you know, Sue just said 20 hours. That's, that's pretty long. Um, if you've never dabbled with this before, maybe you start at uh, 12. So you finish mm -hmm. your dinner at 7 p.m. Um, nothing but water until 7 a.m. the next day. See how you feel. Mm -hmm. And, you know, little bit of a disclaimer that took practice to get there. But nonetheless, I found that it really supports my mental acuity, you know, more than any sort of stimulant or any particular kind of food. Yeah, definitely. You know, it's, it's our go-to on a daily basis. Um, you know, if we feel like a little sickness or something like that, come on. Me personally, I usually try to extend my fast. Um, and, and that's something that I've learned that works for my system um, and I think uh, an, an ethos that can be somewhat of an umbrella statement that, you know, if you're, if you're trying to address whatever the issue is, rather than first going to what can I add? What do I need to purchase? What do I need to do different? What can you remove? Definitely. You know, what can you take away? Like time-restricted eating or intermittent fasting, you don't have to buy anything. All you have to do is just not eat. 
mm-hmm. you and know, stay and hydrated and stay hydrated. And it's incredibly beneficial mm-hmm. along with many, many other things where it doesn't require you to acquire anything. It's what, right. what are you, what are you taking away? What are you removing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that also speaks to conscious consumption and really being able to sort of clear the slate so that when you do start adding back in, you're doing it from really like a net negative place. So then it becomes net neutral. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So while we're talking about consumption, um, I don't think we can talk about it without bringing up supplementation. Yeah, of course. So let's just, I just want to talk a little bit about Um, how and why we started our supplement line and what a closed loop system it is and why we're not part of an MLM. And that's really important to us, social ethics, conscious consumption. Um, You know, we really researched this for almost two years to stay out of the MLM space and take the risk to start our own because we didn't want to be inside of a parasitic economic and social system And we didn't feel like that was contributing to long-term health or the reason that can I, in my connected spirit space, so many people were coming to me with brain fog, gut issues, and here I am sending them outside to go do all this research on their own. And they really can't start a meditation practice or a spiritual practice until your body mind relationship is sort of humming along. Mm -hmm. That's when we're actually doing some deep contemplative work. And so that was the birth of our supplement line. And I know with the boom of QAnon and COVID and all of these things, there's like a lot of hate in the public space about vax, no vax, selling supplements, keeping people on your regimen, all of those things. And I'm bringing that up for good reason so that we understand when we started ours and how we started it with a social ethic that really matters to us. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the... Um we, we started Live Lightly and, and you, I remember having this conversation with you of what's going to be our, our non-negotiable. And it was um, just transparency, mm-hmm, definitely transparency in the supplements. And, you know, you and I, we, we researched um, the production of Live Lightly supplements for about two years, but there was at least 10 years before that where you and I were self-studying supplements and figuring out what works, what doesn't. Yeah. We're both a bit of supplement junkies prior, you know, Dan with baseball and me in the yoga space. It was just kind of like a supplement junkie marriage. (laughs) Yeah. But, you know, like you said, the, that mind body connection, if you're, you have gut dysbiosis and you're eating terribly and your digestion is screwed and man, I I can't sit to meditate. (laughs) I can't sit for more than 30 seconds without. Like, well, of course, of course, mm-hmm. totally. you know, it's a, you got to address the total system. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's what we, we have really neglected as we've moved more towards this system of convenience for our convenience. consumption. And even the wellness industry moving into extreme extraction and extreme convenience. And that's something to really consider when you're just walking into the produce aisle of your grocery store, you're walking into the supplement aisle of Instagram and what's targeting you (laughs) to really understand the extraction of how those products came to be. Right. So that was very important to us in the long run as well. Yeah. Um, where, where do you see extractive capitalism in the, uh, supplement space? I mean, like 
I, th- I forget that spoof that was done where someone traced this girl's morning routine and there was basically an herb or a clay or something coming from every corner of the earth, you know, traveling on a truck, in an airplane, through thousands of people's hands, on shit tons of metal tables as it gets like manipulated and packaged and all of those things. Yeah. Oh, I remember that. And it was like her... $225 morning smoothie yeah. every day, something yeah. like that. Yeah. I mean, both Dan and I are really into sarcasm, so we thought it was hysterical. You know, but really understanding where your products come from and where they're traveling from to reach you. Yeah, absolutely. And and overall the the quality of supplements. So like multivitamins got really popular in the forties and people have been taking them ever since. And it's about one third of Americans take a multivitamin. And of all the supplements sold in the United States, one sixth of those is a multivitamin. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to cut in really quickly because what's very important is we were just talking about, you know, what works for your body mind relationship. If you're eating carrots or a piece of bread, I think that supplementation, we both treat it identically that it, you have to understand your dose and what feels good for you. Right. So honestly, I don't really follow the back of many bottles and I will like cycle supplement. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, in, in terms of multivitamins, um, sorry, Bill, you know, <laughs> well, with all supplements, not all supplements are created equal. And that's especially true with multivitamins where you kind of just have this summation of whatever jammed in there and they jack all the percentages up to it. Oh, it's got 300% of my vitamin C and calcium and magne- you know, all this kind of stuff. And that sounds great. But when you're taking just these like blanket supplements blindly, you know, you don't know if you need that much of whatever. And you also don't know how the absorption rates are impacted by having all these different minerals together to where then you end up taking these expensive supplements and you're not really actually getting much out of them. You know, I'm all for people taking supplements, but I'm all for people researching their supplements and taking the best ones they can find and can afford. And that was a big factor for live light. Like on the back end, we don't make very much money on live lightly supplements. Mm -hmm. Just being honest, we tried to keep them extremely affordable while finding the best quality possible Mm -hmm. because the access to nutrients is becoming ever fleeting. Our soils are no longer the same. The food we're eating is no longer the same. You're not getting the nutrition that you used to get out of broccoli or tomatoes or whatever it is, which is why I believe supplementation is more important than ever with quality supplements. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, definitely well said. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So we can talk a little bit about, I think, some sustainable at-home methods to take care of yourself that are really returning your own well-being and your own sovereignty and how to sort of clean the system so that you can make all of these intuitive choices for yourself. Totally. What uh, what are some tools that you like to use for that? Yeah. I mean, I'll just go ahead and put it out there. Um, coffee enema. Love it. Everyone that comes through my year long or connect to spirit does a coffee enema. Um, reluctantly sometimes, but <laughs> nonetheless... It creates so much cleansing in your colon, uh, tapping of liver and gallbladder, 
detoxification channels, which sometimes we just have so much gunk in there. It's not really that we're not mentally strong enough to make a change. It's that all that gunk is making the choice for us, right? So that's why I'm a huge advocate of coffee enemas, um, saltwater flush use all the time if someone doesn't want to do the coffee enema. And then recently just did my first gallbladder cleanse. Oh, what's that all about? Uh, olive oil and lemon juice. What? It was brutal. <laughs> you just take olive oil and lemon juice? Yeah. Over a 15 minute period. I forget the ounces, but it was basically chug olive oil and lemon juice together. And, and how did that go for you? I passed some gallstones and I have like a pretty clean diet, you know? Oh, very cool. Yeah. Yeah. It, I felt a lot better the next day, not during it, but a lot better the next day. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So I know... Um, but all of that is like in your kitchen right now, totally, totally doable. Yeah. Uh, coffee animals have received some criticism. I've seen what, what's that about? Yeah. Do you know why? I, I don't. Um, I mean, it depends on, I think like your level of gut health and leaky gut and things like that. If you're going to decide to do an enema, but it does only clean the bottom half of your colon, right? It's not going to go all the way up the digestive system or even to the top of the colon or the ascending colon, just the descending colon. Okay. So what would you do if you wanted to get all the way up? Mm, the salt water flush is going to go from the top down. Oh, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. But people have a really hard time chugging a ball jar of salt water. Like this is not for the weak hearted, you know, and the three things I just said, you kind of got to go all in. Yeah. That's pretty intense. Yeah. Do you ever mess with colonics? Yeah. I've done a few for sure. And they have helped a lot during my cycle. If I time them during my cycle. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. What What's the timing? Mm, during my luteal phase. So right before the winter phase, which is the bleed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Why is that? You know, I'm like pretty curious. Yeah. I mean, I think it reduces the toxic load and that's going to one sort of clear the slate for the hormones. And I'm going to, I have a lot less like cramping if I do them during my luteal phase. Hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a nice little tool to have in your back pocket. Yeah, totally. Or a coffee enema during that time. Cause that's at home. Yeah, totally. Cool. Yeah. What about you? Ooh. Well, we, we already mentioned uh, intermittent fasting, time-restricted eating. That's, that's That one's huge for me. Um, I have really uh, spiky blood sugar if I am not cognizant and pay attention to it. So if I can maintain like 16-hour intermittent fasts every day, uh, my blood sugar is, is a lot more stable than, you know, if I'm eating three meals whenever or four or five, whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. So that one's huge for me. Um, sweating every day is really big for me too. Definitely. Um, from the physical aspect, but then, um, mental, you know, and I don't know if there's necessarily science that can quantify the benefits of all these sorts of nuanced things, but from just a, um, my own discern, discerning, uh, view, um, I can see that days I sweat and, and, take that time for myself are, are, are much uh, easier in my mind and body than, than days that I don't have the opportunity to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, hydration is, is, is another one that I, um, I think is extremely important and is often neglected, you yeah. know, and, and I think there's a lot of misperceptions around hydration and it's not just drink more water. Like, no, don't just drink more water. Like you need electrolytes, you need the stuff that's in the water, mm-hmm. not just the water itself. Definitely. 
so really really paying it you know it's summer here it's hot like at least yeah. a gallon a day of electrolyte water i definitely feel off mentally physically my digestion gets off uh, you start craving weird foods when you're dehydrated mm -hmm. which is you know keep that in the back of your mind if you if you're craving garbage food it's good chance that you might be dehydrated it's like yeah. try try some try some hydration before you go for the the dominoes or you know whatever it is mm -hmm. do you want to talk a little bit about dihydroberberine and your blood sugar yeah that, that one's really worked for me um i'm i'll preface this i'm not diabetic uh, if you did tests, I'm, I might be like a pre-diabetic person. I'm, I'm not sure. I've never concluded that. Um, but dihydroberberine is, it's a, a glucose regulator where it mimics insulin in your blood and, and helps to mobilize the blood sugar rather than just sitting there for a really long time and causing a lot, a lot of issues. Mm -hmm. um, chronically high blood sugar is a, is a big deal. That's something that you really, really want to take serious. That's That's not a good thing to have going on. So there's berberine and there's dihydroberberine. Um, I take di dihydroberberine because it has less uh, impact on your gut biome, which is another thing that we take really, really serious, bolstering your gut biome. Mm -hmm. You know, whether you believe in vaccines or not, irrelevant. You can believe in a healthy gut biome. And I think that's, that's a universal truth. Mm -hmm. So the dihydroberberine helps to preserve um, gut biome without as much gut dysbiosis and um, sort of indigestion or... Um, bad digestion, um, from just the berberine itself. But that one's been a, that one's been a, a really big tool for me, um, in regulating blood sugar. If you're not as susceptible to swings, but you want to something to help, uh, modulate, I mean, cinnamon is a great one. Super spirulina. simple. Spirulina, mm -hmm. uh, chromium, um, there's, there's a lot of, uh, you know, like herbs and yeah, and, like I can get away with just taking spirulina. I don't need to take the dihydroberberine. Like yeah. just a big difference in how we process sugar. Right. So, you know, there again, that's just in your own conscious consumption, discovery, some things that you find out about yourself. Mm -hmm. And maybe we could talk a little bit about when you're different than the people you're around and how to sort of stick to that change. Yeah. Cause you likely are. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you and I, Sue and I have been together for five years. Yeah. Five or six five or six years for the first three we tried to have the same diet because mm -hmm, i was vegan she was vegan i tried it out for about two years yeah it didn't work well dan lost like 20 pounds it didn't really go all that well for me <laughs> um and i wasn't eating like fake health food vegan food i was eating vegetables good distinction eating. yeah uh it it did not work for me and i really 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 tried mm -hmm. that being said um, it didn't work for me long term. However, there's times when I'll go back to like a two, three week uh, sort of cleanse, if you will, where I do kind of go back to that um, plant based diet. Mm -hmm. And I have to do the opposite, which is do like a two, three week take the bone broth smoothie that I don't want to drink. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So our, our diets are, are vastly different, but yeah. it took a long time for us to finally accept that yeah and i think it also took that question of like how do i want to show up in my daily life and how is my consumption affecting the way that i show up in my daily life and what are the demands of my life that i need to be present for available for and basically on point point? and once you start valuing that over 
oh, let's sit down and eat the exact same thing. Or, hey, do you want to come eat this with me because I'm going to eat it? Right. Yeah. It's kind of that sort of emotional push-pull. You know, once you value more how you're showing up on a daily basis, then you can really sort of keep that in check with friends, family, partners, yeah, kids. I think, I think it's huge in partnership because you can develop this codependency where you sort of allow the other person to give you permission to eat the pint of Haagen-Dazs or whatever. Mm -hmm. Totally. You know, so I think partnership, it's, it's kind of a twofold thing where, you know, it can be really, you have someone, you have a support system, you have someone there with you. Yeah. Let's do this conscious consumption for a month and see how we feel. Mm -hmm. Or the flip side where it's like, Nah, screw that. Let's let's order the pizza. Mm -hmm. And so you have to be very um, upfront with your needs and the changes that you're making with the people around you. And that's how you're going to open that line of communication of what you're consuming and why. Yeah. Honesty is, is key there for mm -hmm. sure. Yeah. And, you know, I'm just going to pick up a few threads of what Dan just said. It's not to demonize certain types of food or to say that you can never eat that. You know, that that's not the mission of how we share conscious consumption and the choices that we make in our lives and the many people that have studied with Live Lightly. It's really a long-term understanding of ethics, how you're treating your own body and how you're treating the world around you with the choices you're making. Those two things can line up. Mm-hmm. 70% of the time. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's meditating with what you're eating. Yes, exactly. And and if you're eating things that aren't allowing you to have a meditative state of mind, we have to start there first. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's definitely the way. And that I mean that that comes before the supplements. That comes before you know any of these kind of down the road things. There's there's a lot of low-hanging fruit. Um like I mentioned earlier there you don't have to acquire anything. You're just, you're just removing, removing, removing. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And you may find that you don't have to add anything. Yeah. Yeah. And that's like a blissful place to be, right? Where you're not having to constantly modulate and manipulate. Yeah. Yeah. I've got a, I've got a great source of produce from the farmer's market, whatever. I've got a local butcher who has grass fed organic, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I don't need to take the, the green smoothie every morning. I just... <laughs> don't need to eat the hot dog for lunch or, yeah you know whatever it is whatever it is but mm -hmm. there again it's just it's all self-discovery mm -hmm. yeah i think it might be a great time to transition into sort of health sovereignty and pharmaceuticals and medicine and some of the choices that we've shared with our intimate community that we've made that really stabilize our own health sovereignty so we're not reaching outside of the system all of the time, not demonizing science, but also really understanding the, or the studies better yet of um, what's good and what's bad and what's trending. And here's the next best newest thing. And here's the studies behind it. You know, how we're sort of checking that between each other and some of the choices that we make. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a lot to unpack. Um, you know, I think just uh, the obvious and sort of surface level, um, you know, we, we, we get sick in this country. Like we're a very, very sick country. A third of us are obese. Um, and, and you go see a doctor. Uh, we had a conversation with a doctor a couple of weeks back and I remember talking to him about, uh, the nutrition classes that they had to take during their eight years of school. Mm -hmm. One semester. Right. It was, it was like three credit hours of, of 
just like a superficial nutrition class that he took his first year. Mm-hmm. Right. So you have these people going to these doctors who are eating, you know, bad diets, bad diets. It's not the, it's not the right diet for maybe anyone, mm-hmm. certainly not them. And rather than addressing this, the root cause of their systemic inflammation, their cancer breeding diet, right? Um, you know, they're just given a pill, they're given a radiation, they're given a, mm-hmm. a Band-Aid, essentially, rather than addressing the root issues. And that's hard to see. Yeah. It's hard to see that that's what's, um, that's the narrative and that's the, that's the, the protocol, when you, you know, you're not addressing the, the nutrition and, you know, you can watch these documentaries of, uh, what was it like forks over knives or something like that? Where yeah. It's care. It's gotta be careful in the documentary space. Yeah. Be careful yeah. in the documentary space. And, and obviously these are one-off situations, but these people who have, you know, cancer of whatever variety and they clean up their diet, start, start eating plants, never see a doctor and, and figure themselves out. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously that's a unique situation and, and maybe an anomaly and not going to be the case for everyone, but goes to show diet goes a long way in your healing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it is like the foundational piece, the largest piece, the, what you're consuming on a daily basis is the answer to a lot of the things that we reach outside of the container for. Yeah. Yeah. You're absolutely right. It's, it's, you know, pumping yourself full of essentially poison. Yeah. That's a great question to ask too, before you go to put something in your mouth. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's very similar to your mantra with food. It's like, is this going to heal me or is this going to hurt me? Mm -hmm. You know, if you find yourself in a situation where healing isn't an option, you absolutely need it or you're going to die. Mm-hmm. Like I, th- I think um, looking to your your diet and your consumption is is step number one. Mm-hmm. And it's a delayed gratification process, and that's also why it's very tricky because it's going to take months, you know, or years. Yeah, where there's a lot of steadfastness and your resiliency goes up to dealing with pain and discomfort and things inside the body that might be taken away in a five day Z pack. Right. Mm-hmm. But actually won't be answered five years down the road. Yeah. I think, I think you and you and I both have, have experienced that, you know, it is, it is a slow, long burn where growing up, I had a terrible diet. You know, I, I didn't know. My parents didn't know. We I just ate really, really poorly, but I was conditioned for those, I don't know, 15, 16 years that this is what you eat. And, and my my dopamine systems and everything were, were conditioned to receive the hit from those things. Mm-hmm. So to completely reverse that, um, those patterns of eating, you know, it was obviously physically challenging because I, you know, man, I wanted these things, but mentally it was, it was a struggle. Mm-hmm. It's a struggle. And, and I support anyone who, um, you know, takes on this pursuit or endeavor because it is challenging at first, but what good things or worthwhile things aren't in life. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing that industrialized food and pharmaceuticals, right? We, we've neglected the fact that delayed gratification is a part of happiness, is a part of well-being, is a, is a part of long-term balance, right? Those systems aren't set up to um, instill that uh, unit of measure. Yeah. Well, wow, you're absolutely right about that. I mean, what systems are still in place in our life that reward delayed gratification 
I think fitness. <laughs> Every time I try to get back into running shape. <laughs> yeah, fitness, something like that. But you're right. Every, everything has, you know, just like with food, move to convenience. Writing a book. Move to immediate gratification. <laughs> yeah, writing a book. That's a slow burn for sure. Well, like a long-term creative project. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then again, you, you sort of have to be in the context to welcome that kind of delayed gratification into your life. So that's part of conscious consumption of like, well, how much am I invested in instant gratification? That's a great question to ask. And that goes just beyond what you're putting in your mouth. Yeah. You know? I mean, full disclosure, I see a lot in sort of the emotional mental space is like eating and scrolling are very, very, very similar. And, and you do both mindlessly. Yeah, and both really increase that dopamine hit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've I've never done. I've heard about these these dopamine fasts. Have you ever done one? Mm, yeah, I spent sixty days in silence. Okay, I guess that counts. <laughs> <laughs> so coming out of that, because mm-hmm. I've never done one of these. I don't I I don't know too many people who have. You know, what was that like then? To when you did get these little dopamine hits. Yeah. I mean, even on top of silence, I was intermittent fasting like 20 to 22 hours. So so I wasn't eating dinner and I wasn't really eating breakfast. So I was eating about one meal a day. Wow. Yeah. Um, And I remember when I walked out of Divine Mother Hut, which was like this little meditation. Where were you? British Columbia. Okay. This little meditation hut. And I stepped on a stick and it cracked. And it was like someone scratched nails on a chalkboard. Like I got chills all over my body because of that sound. Like the stimulus was so intense. Yeah, the stimulus was so intense. It was like painfully intense. Wow. So what happens when you got out of the woods and were actually... Oh my God. My, you should have seen me. My ex-boyfriend looked at me and he was like, you're a totally different person. I can't even hug you. You're a totally different person. Wow. Yeah. Different in what way? Can you shed some light on that? Like, how how did it change you? Everything. Everything. Like, ask me a question, because I could tell you everything and anything. Walking down the street, well, you know, what what was it like? Or I didn't feel like or... a part of the human species. I remember this moment distinctly. I turned to my sister, and we were on uh, St. Mark's Place in Second Avenue, in the, in the middle of New York City. <laughs> <laughs> and I turned to her, like with big wide eyes, like as if I was tripping on acid, and said to her, "Can you believe we're all the same species?" And she just looked at me like, dude, you got to get out of here. (laughs) (laughs) Do you still have a bit of that sentiment? Like, is that sort of still in you or have you kind of been desensitized again? Mm, Desensitized. And that's the threshold of understanding of like, oh shit, like I'm way too in reactivity. I'm not connected to my body. I'm reaching for dopamine hits. Um, I'm scrolling too much. I... Am way too reactive. I need to step up my practice. I need to change my consumption patterns. That level of sensitivity. Mm-hmm. So if someone can't just take sixty days and go off in silence, do you have any? One day in your house. One day in silence. One day in silence. No technology. No reading. Just one day. I mean, fine. If you want a food prep, fine. You can do whatever, but just stay off the screens. And you know, one full day in silence. How often would you do that? I mean, if you can hang with it, like 
Once every 90 days might be great. Oh, nice. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I would totally sell a silent virtual retreat. I just don't think anyone would buy it. (laughs) I don't know how you'd sell that. Yeah, I know. (laughs) I'm just joking, but it's interesting because sometimes, like we just started this conversation, the most beneficial consumption, consciousness, contemplation practices are reducing stimulus. And that can be with what you're eating, with what you're consuming on an emotional level, with your connection to technology, to your connection to nature, right? You're actually reducing stimulus. And that is everything from eating sugar and, you know, overeating things that really are poisonous to the body. And Dan and I both have used that word strategically so that you really understand, like, this isn't food. This is like a weird homogeneous poisonous mass that I'm eating as if it's the idea of food. Mm-hmm. And think about it like this, right? Your digestion, when you eat something, it's like 8 to 12 hours, something like that. Of that time, that you know, the 8 to 12 hours, if you're eating things because they taste good, mm-hmm. you know, that's like 15 seconds of the 12 hours. If, I mean... Dan is very, very like Capricorn and Taurus about this, you know, like the Cancer Pisces would have a very different response, but maybe so. No, but I think that's a valid point. I'm not just, it's it's, it's something to consider. And I think it's, it's just one of those, one more of those tools to help you make a better decision Mm -hmm. ultimately. And again, like you're skewing consumption to have delayed gratification. Like this is going to make me feel good in 24 hours. This isn't going to make me uh, like super giddy and have a bit of a high for the, this 15 to 45 minutes. Right. Yeah. And then I'll need to take a nap because I feel like crap after I ate whatever. Yeah. And that's a great way to also up your sensitivity is like how sustained and I don't want to use the word productive, but just attention filled is, um, my day my ability to stay present for things, my ability to stay aware, my ability to stay aware of what's going on inside of me and what's going on around me. Those are key indicators that your consumption is serving you. Mm -hmm. Uh, A food journal is great for this starting out. A food and a mood journal. Exactly. So whether it's talk to text into your notes on your iPhone or writing it down, whatever, but I feel like this before I ate, I ate this. I feel like this after Mm -hmm. it can be that simple. Definitely. It can be that simple. If you track that for a couple of weeks, it's amazing the intel that you'll that you'll gain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 You got anything else? Um, any other like tactile things? I mean, we're both huge fans of acupuncture and alternative medicine. Like that's always our go-to. Like I don't keep a Western doc on hand. I keep a doctor of Chinese medicine on hand. Mm-hmm. You know, and running specific tests that your family care practitioner won't be able to run, right? So before I started Live Lightly with Dan and owned Yoga Home, which was the studios I owned previous to Live Lightly, I was a patient advocate in hospitals and dealing with the implications of chemotherapy in an integrative holistic way and the side effects of certain drugs. So, and I would always sort of trend into the patient advocate space Um, for some of my clients and people that I was working with. So, you know, I'm not just like spewing shit into this podcast. You know, (laughs) there's like lots and lots of years of understanding, not necessarily all the facts and all the science, but what questions to ask for your body, your healthcare plan, 
and using integrative medicine to support your long-term health in a very proactive way. Yeah, totally. That's mm-hmm. huge. Yeah. Yeah. I think in, in terms of other just sort of little tangible daily things that you can implement, um, especially early on in the conscious consumption path, I think the three-byte rule is, is really beneficial. Three-byte rule being, okay, you're not going to be perfect right out of the gate and say like donuts are your jam. <laughs> That's cool. Three bites. There's some science behind this um, that shows three bites of whatever the indulgence is will help to satiate the craving. So if you can limit yourself to the three, go for it. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. You know, that's like just reduce, just do a little better every time. That's huge. Yeah. Um, always have a water bottle open. Open the lid off next to you. So say you're working at your desk, don't have the lid on. And again, science has shown that you'll end up drinking more water with it more accessible. So have it next to you, have the lid off, have some good electrolytes, your hydration will thank you. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And then just to play devil's advocate, if the restriction space isn't for you, and this is why Dan and I can approach this so well, because he's so tactful in understanding how to cut things out. And for someone who's cut things out for the better part of their life because of their emotional issues, you know, sometimes restriction doesn't work and there actually has to be a a full surrender or a full swap almost. Like, you know, the habit is there. It's a hundred percent there. There's no reason to fight against the habit. So why not just put something else in its place? And it's literally just like a swapping mechanism instead of denying or restriction. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, whatever works for you. There's mm-hmm. there's no right or wrong. Yeah, and like maybe there's wrong, but I don't know if there's a right. I don't think there's a wrong, honestly. I think that it's such an integrative system of the choices you're going to make for you and you're obviously going to really mess up along the way where you're like, "Oh shit, everyone else is eating that and they're saying it's great for them." Like tofu. When mm-hmm. I was vegan for so long, you know, and like I can't eat tofu. So that eliminated like X percentage of vegan processed foods that I could eat. Right. Yeah. Or seitan. It's yeah. great. It's gluten. <laughs> yeah. Like in the early, like late nineties, everyone was eating seitan burritos on the street in New York. And I was mm-hmm. like, God, I can't eat that. Now caveat, if you digest it well and, and you enjoy it, awesome. You're Go fine. for it. Yeah. Good for you. Yeah, exactly. But those are just the things that you figure out long term, right? So right and wrong, I think it doesn't really work in the consumption space. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. Do you have anything else? I don't think so. I mean, honestly, we could talk for hours about this and it's so individual. So we tried to bring some of our personal examples mm-hmm. into the space so that it felt more grant- grounded and more t- tangible in certain ways. Because this is, you know, especially when we started this Live Lightly Supplements and connect to spirit in particular, right? This was just coming up every single call. Yeah. You know, once I d- we developed a protocol to help people get off the consumption space and really start trending into understanding that like this is energy, this is a full cohesive system, right? Then we could move on beyond the diet conversation. I know the diet conversation, I'm using air quotes here for listeners, is just like a wee bit boring. You know? And it's a pain point <laughs> yeah, for a lot of people. Yeah, it's a huge pain point, yeah. But also it's like a, I don't mean boring to be dismissive, but like a, an understanding that it is a very, very small piece 
of like the huge pie of health sovereignty and understanding like the choices you're making and diet and consumption is like driven by so many other internal factors. Yeah, absolutely mm-hmm. is. Yeah. So it isn't just about like calories and what you're eating and macros and all of those things. And yeah, good point. Yeah, we wanted to really approach it from an integrative space. And that's why you can find supplements on our website and you can find meditation practices because they really go hand in hand. Yeah, they do. Yeah, they do. And, you know, take Live Lightly supplements. Don't take Live Lightly supplements, but find the best possible supplements you can find. Mm-hmm. And then cycle them in yeah. a way that you're understanding the effects they're making in your blood sugar, your digestion, your gut health, your mental acuity, your hormone balance, go get blood tests, find doctors that will do the right blood tests for you, supplement, go get another blood test. Like these are all things that are coming from your um, internal motivation to be a steward of your own well-being. These things are not going to come from the top down, right? So you you're kind of like out there pushing a little bit so that you can get the right information from the right places and make the most cost-effective, environmentally friendly choices that you can make for your body and the full ecosystem. Yeah, that's the way. I mean, that's conscious consumption. Well said. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, great. Awesome. I I think that's a, a good stopping point for the conversation for today. Uh, I think we will absolutely revisit this conversation um, in the near future. Mm-hmm, definitely. Um, if you have any questions, comments, hit us up. We'll answer via DM or email. Yeah. Um, until next time. Thanks for being here. Live Lightly Podcast. Bye. See you next week. listening to the Live Lightly podcast. If you loved this episode, please download and subscribe. Please leave us a review. We would love to hear from you and your main takeaways from this episode. Tag us on Instagram and Facebook at LiveLightly underscore. We will then reshare your takeaways and insights. We love bringing you these in-depth conversations. Please remember the suggestions of our guests and hosts are for informational purposes only and should not be taken as actionable advice. This podcast is a resource for general information and education only. Live Lightly is not liable for your decisions to implement information from this podcast.